Hi, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. And boy, does it sure feel like we are in a zombie apocalypse, unfortunately. So today's episode is going to continue in the foreign policy vein. This will be the third episode in a row, obviously with the war in Ukraine raging and all the implications of this. It just seems like it's worth continuing on this theme. I want to first comment before getting into kind of the main points of this episode on some recent developments that speak to the last episode, which is about the security imperative of decarbonizing. So in the news, it's been reported that Joe Biden, our president, has been reaching out to the Saudis and the UAE to try to get them to increase the supply of oil to to tamp down these price increases that we're seeing. Obviously, the skyrocketing oil prices and the inflation that's coming with it is posing a real threat to not just the U.S. economy, but the global economy. What these reports are saying is that the Saudis and UAE aren't even taking the president's call, right? These fucking two-bit petro-dictator thugs in the Saudi Arabia and UAE aren't taking a call from the president of the United States. And why are they not taking a call? Because they want to bring us to our knees and make many demands before they increase the oil supply to try to tamp down prices. And what are these demands? Well, the Saudis want us hands off on the war on Yemen. Not that we've done a lot to stop it, but they want to, you know, full free reign to just keep killing hundreds of thousands of civilians and bombing Yemen into oblivion. They want immunity for everyone involved in the murder of Washington Post reporter Khashoggi. Right. UAE, not exactly sure what they want, but I'm sure it's something vile like the Saudis. And so what does this show again? It shows that if we do not decarbonize, we are letting the worst, you know, despotic regimes have incredible leverage over us because we're addicted to their product of dead dinosaurs. Now, what's even more, you know, apparent is that they're going to hurt us whatever we do. Right. If we try to get off of oil, they're obviously going to, you know, they're not going to be happy about that because once the demand for oil really plummets and the price goes down, you know, their their reserves are going to be worth a lot less. So I don't want to make it, you know, make make any assumptions here that this is going to be easy. But there's two options. We either fry the planet and make the earth unlivable and perhaps even lead to our extinction, and in the process, fund the most despotic regimes in the world who will continue to murder innocent people in their own country, in their neighbors, and to sow chaos and instability. That's one option. Or we can do the hard work of transitioning off fossil fuels, weakening these regimes, creating a stable climate and saving humanity's future, And still having a pretty hard time because, again, these regimes are going to fight tooth and nail as we get off of of fossil fuels. They're going to create more trouble in the world to kind of lead to price spikes. And they're going to try to derail those efforts. 
But again, you know, of those two bad options, one is clearly worse, right? And so it's really clear what we need to do, which is to decarbonize, period, end of story. And I'm going to have another episode dedicated to the politics around this um, coming up. However, today's episode is about something a little different, and that's about applying morality to foreign affairs. And the reason I want to do this is because so much in foreign affairs is of high stakes, right? It's war, it's life and death, it's foreign aid, it's disaster relief, it's trade policy, it's things that have big, big implications, particularly war. And I think a lot of people are just really confused about applying moral principles to foreign affairs. For example, you have the realist school, right, which just doesn't even think morality applies. It's just pure power politics, and therefore you have amoral idiots like the University of Chicago's John Mearsheimer, who is literally claiming in in pieces in The Economist, in op-eds, on TV, that we in the West are responsible for Putin's invasion, that we provoked him and we forced his hand. So we're the ones responsible for him bombing civilians, nuclear reactors, and hospitals, right? Now, beyond someone as reprehensible as Mearsheimer, there are tons of people who have actually reasonably good intentions and are reasonable people, but who still suffer from a huge amount of moral confusion when it comes to foreign affairs. And what's interesting is that a lot of these people on domestic affairs are very clear-eyed. They'll say, yeah, income inequality bad, racism bad, structural racism bad, you know, we need equal rights for gay and lesbians and transgender people. But when it comes to foreign affairs, they lose their moral clarity and it just gets very muddied and, and chaotic. And so this is what I want to discuss today. And I want to talk both about moral absolutes and moral relativism because I think they're both very important. The first point I want to discuss is how moral relativism creeps into many people's judgments of U.S. foreign policy. So when talking with people who support most of the U.S.'s wars in this last half century, oftentimes they just simply fail to provide any objective evidence in favor of the failed and morally bankrupt campaigns in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq, right? If you, you know... I, you, you say all the casualties. What, what were the strategic objectives that we achieved? You know, how much money did we spend? There's no objective evidence that they can even point to to even begin to justify it. And I want to be clear here that even if they're, you know, even if they could point to things we had gained, that wouldn't necessarily justify anything, right? Because again, the costs were so devastating and, 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 and the right of one country to invade another is, is really limited. But they even can't even come up with any reasonable justification. It's always just general stuff like it was our security imperative or influence or we had to, you know, protect against communism or in the case of Iraq and Afghanistan and, you know, some nonsense about, you know, beginning the democratic transition, right? It's all this kind of vague nonsense because they don't have anything tangible to, um, to rest on. But eventually what these conversations almost invariably Um, descend into is they these people resort to the refrain that we're at least we're better than Russia or better than China or better than Japan and Germany in World War II right so these conversations were kind of going back and forth and then they start saying things like well are you know what about Russia 
What about what the Chinese do? Do you think we're worse than them? And and the first thing I want to say is, of course, they're right, right? The United States in, in, in the last half century, even century, our foreign policy, even within all of our illegal and immoral wars, we have been more moral than the Russians, um, the Japanese and German Germans in World War II. Chinese is a little complicated, but absolutely, if you get into the you know the Maoist purges in which tens of millions of Chinese people were killed, we're definitely better than that. Um, but the, the 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 thing is, is that is that really the the moral basis for justifying U.S. actions is that we're better than Nazis and we're better than communists who killed tens of millions of their own citizens, right? I mean, it's just kind of a, a really weird moral calculus, right? And if you use, hey, we're not as bad as the worst actors in the last century as a justification for your policy, that really is going to justify just about anything. Anything short of straight-up Nazism and Stalin purges, you're going to say, well, I guess that's better you know, than the alternative. You know, and again, this is just moral confusion of the highest order. Right, Because, again, it sets such a low bar that it allows you to justify just about anything. We saw that in Afghanistan. Right, We're better than the Taliban, these medieval, you know, crazy Muslims. Right, I don't believe, you know, that, that, that we, we, we should characterize, you know, everybody in Afghanistan like that. But that's what they said. And so that then justified invading the country and, and rebuilding it. We saw that in Iraq. We're better than Saddam Hussein, so we can invade and occupy the country. Yes, the United States is better than the Taliban. Yes, the United States is better than Saddam Hussein. But that's not sufficient to give anyone justification to invade and occupy that country. right? So what people with this strictly morally relativistic worldview miss is that just because we're better than some despot, doesn't mean we have the right to kill hundreds of thousands of the people living in those countries to try to remake their societies. This is the ultimate fallacy of moral relativism. Now, let me be clear. Of course, if we could wave a magic wand and make these countries free and prosperous, that would absolutely be the right thing to do. But we have no right to violently invade countries and murder people. We do have a right to try to weaken these despotic regimes and support pro-democracy factions. But that is a far cry from full-on military, violent, brutal invasions, right? The point being here is that there are moral absolutes that are more important than moral relativism claims, right? And one of the most basic is that no country has the moral right to invade another country that has not attacked it and then to try to remake its society. Remember, the Taliban did not attack the U.S. Al-Qaeda did. Saddam Hussein did not attack the U.S. Extreme moral relativists lack basic moral principles, a basic moral core and foundation. So they judge everything by who is the worst actor. And as long as you're not the worst, you can basically do anything. This is a recipe for barbarism. And in the case of the U.S., it has led to the worst foreign policy decisions in our nation's history. But it's amazing how often when you press people who support the U.S.'s militarism, this is what they resort to. 
It's empty, both morally and intellectually. Now, some of these same people argue that morality is always relative and that there is no such thing as true objective morality, right? That's the ultimate reframe. Well, hey, you know, there is no objective standard, so all we have is comparing ourselves to others, and we're better than the worst, so, you know, that makes us justified. This is wrong, utterly and completely wrong. This ignores all of the moral progress the world has made in the past century in which there is a tremendous amount of international global unity. For example, the UN's Declaration of Human Rights is a good attempt to create universal moral principles. And while it needs refining, there is widespread acceptance of these basic values. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we always follow them or that any country always follows them. But at least we are in the process of creating a global moral framework that most agree on. Now, some will gamble, point out, well, okay, the UN, we don't follow it all the time. And, you know, there's plenty of people who don't agree with the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Of course, that's true. No moral framework will ever have the support of 100% of the 8 billion people on the planet. There will always be sociopaths, lunatics, despots, and truly evil and confused people, including, you know, millions upon millions of religious maniacs. But we can arrive at moral principles that the overwhelming majority of sane, rational people across the globe accept, and we have. That's what the moral relativists really just dismiss, is the moral progress we have made as a species. They just want to say that that's all just, you know, kind of fluff and there's nothing to it. That is just wrong. It's, not, it's incomplete, it's a project that is not done, but it's not something that you can just dismiss out of hand. So the first step to a sane, sensible foreign policy is a strong moral foundation and a firm rejection of moral relativism as a guiding principle. However, there are times when issues aren't black and white and moral relativism has its place. And I'm going to come to that after the break. This is the time that we all should live as one brothers. This is the time that we all should live as one sisters. So come along, brothers, and come along, sisters. You and I is unity. So come along, brothers and sisters. Okay, so now I want to move on to where moral relativism has its place. And I want to be clear here that the most important perspective to get from this episode is that having a strong moral foundation of objective, absolute moral standards is very, very important, right? But moral relativism is kind of on the margins important as well. And let me explain. So I've had some conversations with people recently on the left who claim that the invasion of Ukraine is no worse than our invasion of Iraq. First off, of course they are right that the invasion of Iraq was wrong. They are just absolutely clear on that, and I agree. These people have a strong moral foundation, 
And for them, once you cross a threshold of unprovoked invasion, then all actions are equally wrong, right? So unprovoked attack on Iraq, unprovoked attack on Ukraine, both meet that bar, both equally bad. I think this lacks moral nuance because just because two things are wrong doesn't mean they are equally wrong. And so I think the invasion of Ukraine is worse than Iraq based on some clear moral objective principles, not just my opinion. So first off, in Iraq, we didn't purposely target civilians. We didn't purposely bomb hospitals. We didn't purposely kill children. Second, our goal wasn't to take over Iraqi territory or resources. In fact, we spent money trying to help them build a democratic government, and we left the country after spending trillions of dollars to do so. We didn't steal their oil and their resources. In fact, we've been buying it ever since and giving them our you know, hard-earned money for their oil. This is fundamentally different than what Putin is doing in Ukraine. He is trying to conquer the people. He is trying to conquer the territory. The same is true if we look at things historically, right? The U.S. did horrible things to Japan and Germany in World War II, from, you know, the the atomic bombs to the firebombing of Dresden. But we ultimately paid lots of money through the Marshall Plan to help rebuild their countries. We made them allies, and we even provided security to them for generations that continue on to this day. Both Japan and Germany are democratic and prosperous and are not U.S. colonies or vassal states. This is a big, big difference than a war of conquest. So it is entirely consistent from a moral worldview to say that the invasion of Iraq was wrong, but that it was not as bad as Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, of course, does this matter for the dead Iraqis, including the dead Iraqi civilians that we, quote, mistakenly, you know, Um, killed as civilian casualties? Of course not, right? And that's why, again, the invasion of Iraq was wrong from a, a strong moral foundation. But it does matter to say that Ukraine is worse because judging relative morality of different actors is important. George Bush II is a war criminal, but he is not as evil as Putin. Last point I'll make here is that some commentators notably Trevor Noah of The Daily Show, have been talking about how racist U.S. foreign policy is because we're caring a lot more about white Christian Ukrainians than we did about the Iraqi and Afghani people or the Syrians, etc. And of course he is right, and there is tons of racism in U.S. foreign policy, and racism absolutely helped fuel the bloodlust of the global war on terrorism. There's no question that the fact that the Iraqis and Afghanis and Syrians or we're not, you know, all white Christians, is why it was much easier for us to kill them. There's absolutely no question that that is true. But just because we made mistakes then doesn't mean we shouldn't do the right thing now, right? Ukrainians deserve our support, and no people of any race or religion deserves to be, deserves to be invaded by another power in an unjustified, unprovoked act of aggression, right? Both things can be true that U.S. foreign policy has been incredibly racist and that supporting the Ukrainians now is the right, just thing to do. After the break, I'll come back with the antidote. Until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes, Mr. War. 
that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. And it's a war that until that day the dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, rule of international morality. Okay, and for the antidote for today, I kind of want to take what I've been talking about at the macro level for foreign policy and bring it down to the micro level. In my, you know, half century on the planet here, I've encountered a lot of people who compare themselves to those morally at the bottom and feel better about themselves because they're not so bad, right? It's kind of like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Well, at least I don't do that. And it's always a pretty low bar that they're comparing themselves to. And I've always found this an incredibly weak and flawed, you know, version of morality. And again, it's really the same example of what we just said. As long as I'm not the worst, you know, what I'm doing can't be that bad. And therefore, it kind of gives people a free pass to be pretty shitty. Now, look, I've never met a saint in my lifetime. And I doubt that there is somebody a perfect moral character out there. But those aspiring to be moral warriors are the people I try to aspire to and judge my character and actions against. You know, whether it's someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, or even if you're religious, figures like Jesus, who definitely had a pretty strong moral compass. You know, I recommend trying to look up and compare yourselves to people that you, you know, that you admire than looking down when you're thinking about, you know, what's right and wrong, right? Most of us will never be as courageous as, you know, these heroic figures, you know, throughout history who have really defied odds and shown incredible moral courage. But at least by aspiring to their level, we can continually improve and hold ourselves to high standards. And, you know, it will help us lead solidly moral lives, right? Comparing oneself to the low bar set by most people is a sad way to live, and it leads to unhappiness and bad, bad outcomes most of the time. So again, I just want to kind of end this episode by th- saying, you know, I think there's many on the left who feel, you know, they don't like the notions of kind of good and evil, good and bad, you know, right and wrong, because it, 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 if they're secular, it kind of reeks of religious fundamentalism. But however you want to characterize it, If you are just in a morally relativistic universe and you don't have strong moral principles that are your bedrock and your foundation, you're probably going to end up doing a lot of bad stuff because that's just the nature of humanity. We need a check on ourselves because our instincts can go in some pretty dark directions. And so again, for me personally, I'm always trying to ask myself, not necessarily what would Jesus do? But, you know, what would Gandhi do? What would MLK do? What would Malcolm X do? You know, and try to aspire to a high degree of moral character, not just go, hey, everybody else out there is kind of dog eat dog rat race and I'm not the worst. So, uh, you know, I guess it's okay what I'm doing like that. Just that's always seemed like a really weak, dangerous path to go down. So with that, everybody, I hope you uh, have a great rest of the week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it, 
subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, take care. Be safe.